Hello darlings and welcome back to the Christmas special of Past Loves, the weekly history podcast that explores affection, infatuation and attachment across time to bring you the lighter side of history and a touch of romance to daily life. And as this is the time to spread a little joy, I thought that there was no better way to mark the festive season than with a love story that has left its mark through the ages. I'm Holly, your true romantic host, and aptly named for this Christmas special. 2020 has been a year and a half, and one of the great sadnesses has been the closure of the theatres, which I know this year will mean that many of you will be having to skip the tradition of going to the ballet at Christmas. So I thought that it was only right for this special festive episode to take to the stage and discuss a great love story from the world of dance. The thought of going to the ballet at Christmas always reminds me of when my brother bought tickets to see the Nutcracker with his then girlfriend and when he came home all he could say to me was they didn't even talk how was I meant to know what was happening? I just love the idea of him sitting through the nutcracker, deathly bored because he couldn't work out what was going on. And for some reason, I think he was expecting them to to explain the ballet. I don't know. But um, that story always makes me smile. And as my brother won't be coming home for Christmas this year from Copenhagen, actually the home of one half of the couple today, I wanted to give him a special mention because he will be part of our festive celebrations in every way, if only in spirit, and this one is his um, magical first experience of the ballet. (laughs) I don't think he'll ever repeat it. Anyway, on to the couple for today. Little drummer boy drumroll, Rudolf Nureyev and Eric Brunn. So I'm joined by the absolutely glorious Russian ballet scholar who looks after Harvard University's extensive theatre collection at the Horton Library, Irina Klyagin, to discuss a love story between two titans of the ballet world. They revolutionised the world of dance with their own specific ways, Rudy as the Russian fire to Eric's Danish ice. The very famous quote by Rudy about Eric is, he's so cold, he's like ice. You touch it and it burns you. And from this episode, you'll gain an insight into how these two ballet dancers came together to create one of the most iconic periods in the history of ballet. They really are an example of opposites attract. And I love in particular just how obsessed with meeting Eric that Rudolf was when he defected. It's like he knew that Eric was where he needed to be. Their love story in this way really is one for the ages, and the beauty of it is there is such a wealth of videos of them dancing that you can really get a sense of what they were like on stage and what they were like together. I mean, Eric's dance style is probably my favourite because he's just very majestic. But I think it's really hard not to fall in love with Rudy. Here's how Eric did just that with the iconic love story between Eric Brun and Rudolf Nureyev. Welcome, Marina, and thank you so much for joining me today. Very nice to be asked, Holly. So we're going to talk about two incredible people, Rudolf Nureyev and Eric Brun. And I thought we should start with Nureyev. He was born in 1938. How would you describe him as a person? I think I would say he was a law unto himself. I think he was so unique in his approach to life. He had such a sense of his importance either as a person or as a dancer, mm-hmm. that he's almost unequaled in the dance world and probably among people in general. 
Yeah. It's a very rare, it's a very rare self-centeredness and a sense of personal worth. Mm -hmm. He's definitely um, a character. Is perhaps the, the like very PC way to, to say it. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's really clear in his dance style as well. Can you describe that a little bit more for me? Yes, he was a, certainly by training, he was a classical dancer. He definitely went far beyond the definition of classical, although he was trained in a certain vocabulary. His ability to exaggerate without making it a caricature, was unique. And he was bigger than life. He really uh, rebelled against the restraint and control that male dancing had traditionally exhibited in the uh, 20th century, especially in the Soviet Union that was traditionally men were somewhat in the background. Mm. And the ballerina was uh, the center stage of a production and performance. He really wanted all the attention on him. He thought he was worthy of that attention. He wanted every movement to be as big as possible. So the minute he was on stage, I think nobody was able to look at anyone else. And that's how he wanted it. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Almost his first audience was his rather dramatic birth, which I think you can imbue with a lot of romanticism in itself. Can you describe what happened on that on that fateful day of March. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. That was as, as dramatic entrance as it probably could be. Yeah. His family, his mother with his two eldest sisters was on the train to join their father who was in the army. And uh, it was a two-week train journey. She was in the last stage of her pregnancy. Nobody knows for sure he was carried to term, but most likely almost. I don't think mm. he was considered a premature baby. But in a way, he even used an expression that he was shaken out of his mother's womb by the walking on the train. So he made an appearance into the world in a little train compartment during that journey. And his sisters left vivid uh, recollections of how then, you know, they were uh, taken out of the compartment and didn't know what was going on. And then suddenly were introduced to their little brother. And because the family, they were Tatars, and his father really wanted a son. His wife actually deceived him once, uh, having given birth to a girl. She actually sent a telegram to him that it was a boy because she knew how much a boy was wanted. So when he received a second telegram that a boy was born, he didn't believe it. So yes, they they uh, they were traveling to the far east, to the actually to the far east region of Russia and to Ufa, hmm. which is a city in the Urals, very close. That's uh, how he always remembered himself as a somebody who was being born on a train raid and being a nomad, mm-hmm. essentially by birth. Yeah. I think he justified his restlessness and his desire to move around by that very dramatic event at yeah. the beginning of his life. Absolutely. I mean, there is like this romanticism about it, but m- blimey, that must have been hard work for his poor mother. I mean, yes, <laughs> I, I have no doubt that it was. And she was and very lucky that it was a lucky and, and, and uncomplicated yeah. birth and she had a healthy baby. Absolutely. And it must have been quite a hard life for him in his childhood. Very. The family was very poor. Only his father had a job. And, Mm. you know, nobody in the Soviet Union was paid really that much. His father was um, a security guard at a military facility. He had two sisters and he had hand-me-down clothes that were actually girls' clothes. And his mother would alter things for him. But he remembered wearing dresses, which was actually about half a century previously, a fashion for children to be dressed as girls, but no longer in the 1930s in the Soviet Union. And he didn't have his own pair of shoes, and sometimes they had to alternate wearing shoes to be outside. They lived in a very small 16 square meters room, the whole family. Wow. So he... um, Although being a boy, he was really the center of all the female attention and his father was very proud of him. But at the same time, he felt 
not necessarily a stigma of being so poor because many families around were also as poor, but nonetheless, he felt like he was lacking many things and he he became very rebellious and, and quite wild. Yeah. Uh, as, as a sense of protection. Many children do that, I guess. I guess that's true. I mean, I think you can see his personality starting to, uh, to yes. come through. Yes. One of his vivid recollections was about being carried on his mother's back to school because he had only one good pair of shoes and it was so muddy outside that she couldn't risk him muddying them for school. Oh, because his mother was also very pivotal in his entrance into the world of ballet. What's the story there? Uh, Somewhat unwittingly, and uh, it's probably a, a feature of many famous dancer's biography, but when he was seven, his mother managed to acquire one single ticket for the New Year's Eve performance of The Song of the Crane, a ballet based on the National Bashkirian. Well, it's a fairy tale and a legend. But using that single ticket, she somehow managed to snuggle her, sneak in all her family to the performance. You, you know, that, that happened many times and you, in my mind. You, know, you know someone who works in the theater, so they wait for an opportune moment and sneak you in. That was, uh, as he claimed later, when he saw what was going on stage, the Song of the Crane was sometimes called the, the Swan Lake of the Bashkiria. So it was the, one of the most important performances for the company based on the national epic. Mm. And there and then he knew that that's what he wanted to do for the rest of his life. Many, many children probably think that after their first encounter, but he was the one who followed up on that dream. Also, his eldest sister was taking dance lessons in the local children's club, and Mm. he remembered, you know, putting the costumes that she brought home on the bed and looking at them and straightening them and caressing them, the silk of the fabric of the silkiness of the fabric was very dear to him and dreaming about being in the beautiful world of glitter and fairy tales and <laughs> magical possibilities. <laughs> and from then on, he was taken to a dance studio where he had encountered his first teacher who saw something special in him. Who was that? Uh, it was Anna Udaltsov, who was a dancer from St. Petersburg, who uh, with her husband, who was exiled, uh, found herself in the Urals in Bashkiria and really devoted a lot of time to him and told him stories and made him really passionate about his talent and yeah. ability. And she was instrumental in him deciding to study dance seriously. Yeah, because to do that, he needed to go to Leningrad, as it was at the time. So what happened when he went there? He did go there as um, a teenager, which was much, much later than most children yeah. enter the school. That's usually between the ages of 8, 9, or 10 that they, you start studying. He was 15, going on 16, and he looked awkward. He was very conscious of being a provincial, a very... Uh, that is definitely a stigma in the Soviet Union. There is mm-hmm. Moscow and Leningrad. And everything is a province, which is a province. And everything else. <laughs> and everything else, yes. But he was certainly undertrained, but he was physically very powerful. And he was very lucky to be noticed and taken under his wing by the, one of the greatest teachers of the time, Alexander Pushkin. The man of the same name as the greatest Russian poet of the 19th century. Mm-hmm. He was also a great teacher. And from the very beginning, Nureyev decided that he is a loner. He's not going to learn all the ways. He's not, he's really, he's there to dance and he is not going to take anything that he doesn't like. His temper was wild and it was Alexander Pushkin who was sometimes able to control his outbursts and he would Mm. tell him, go and do pirouettes, it will calm you down. He (laughs) quarreled with almost every teacher and it was mainly thanks to Alexander Pushkin that he was never punished too severely and was not expelled. Yeah, he's one of those extremely formative teachers who, they're the ones who paved the way for for his future. He also really managed to bring to the fore everything that was Nureyev's strength Mm -hmm. and complete his training and show him how to work on his weaknesses and how to fill in the gaps in his training. Mm. 
So he made this name for himself as a very bright star in the Soviet Union. And in the spring of 1961, they went on tour to Paris and London. And this is how Rudolf ended up defecting to the West. Can you join those dots together for me? These are the two dots that are so extremely to join because that was unheard of. Hmm. Uh, There were in the history of the Soviet Union certainly political defectors and those stories were never made public. They were always happened in the background and they were, we actually learned about them only much later. But it was unheard of for a member of a dance company or a theater company even to dream of (laughs) defecting. Apparently, as it turned out, Nuryuk had had that thought before. He even discussed it with his friends. What would they think if he stayed in the West? And most of them were horrified and no one took him seriously. But on that particular tour in Paris... Nareev was so hungry for new experiences, for meeting people, both old Russian immigrants and Parisians and other people. Every company, Soviet company on tour, had members of the KGB assigned to them as as sort of watchdogs, and they were all followed and watched. They were supposed to ask permission for every outing after the performance that was not scheduled as a group activity. Nureyev never did that. And he actually threw all the rules to the wind. He did what he wanted. His friends would take him to bars, restaurants, nightclubs. He would attend performances that he was not supposed to see. He was meeting friends uh, of his new friends. He He really was misbehaving terribly the company was afraid (laughs) and his behavior resulted that when the company was gathering at the airport for the next leg of their uh, international tour Mm. he was taken aside by a kgb officer and told that he's urgently needed in the kremlin for a special performance in front of a foreign guest and everybody knew including naria that that was the end that he is not only not continuing on the journey chances are he would never be permitted to go abroad again. And quite possibly he would actually be sent to some provincial company and expelled from there. So he panicked, but had presence uh, enough to make a call to his Parisian friend who arrived at the airport, rushed to the airport against the time and met Nureyev at the bar with the two KGB officers sitting next to him and hugging him and pretending to give him a very warm farewell, whispered that there were two police officers standing nearby and all he had to do was to walk a few steps and claim that he would like to ask for a political asylum. Mm -hmm. And that's what Nureyev did. I don't know what he felt inside, but he did it. There was a fight when the KGB officers were trying to physically tear him away from the yeah. police officers. And maybe that's what helped the police officers to take it seriously. Yeah. And, and that was it. I mean, it honestly, it's kind of like of mythical. That moment is just yes. so, so significant. It's significant for his life, significant for the life of the company, because... The director of the company and the artistic director of the Cure of Ballet and many of the fellow dancers actually suffered drastically. They were not allowed to go abroad after that. The opinion, of course, for the Soviet Union, he was a traitor. He was actually sentenced. Mm. And the sentence actually stayed with him until he came, a jail sentence, until he came back in the late 1980s and it was only cancelled shortly before his arrival because it was never revoked. Mm. But that was understandable. But not everyone in the West actually greeted him and were really approved of his defection because also several critics in the West felt that he had betrayed his own company that trade him. For many people, it was very difficult. It was impossible to envision what kind of environment he experienced uh, and, and how confiding he found the company and the, mm. the roles that, was, uh, that were given to him. You can't imagine what life is like in a foreign country. So, um, but Especially at the time when it was the Cold War well, and there was such right. a... You know, both countries knew very little about uh, France, England. I mean, the, the Soviet Union was really a, a completely mysterious world yeah. to, for the West. 
But it is interesting that the sentiment that the Soviet Union is evil wasn't really altogether there yet. So not everyone thought that what he did was a heroic act mm. or, and the leap for freedom. One of the things he said he wanted to do after he defected was to study with Eric Brun. Why was he so... He actually used it, sorry for interrupting, no, he on. used a, a rather vul, more vulgar expression. When, oh, <laughs> which, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but really he did. Yes. Um, why was he so seemingly obsessed with meeting Eric? Eric Bruin, by that time, who Eric Bruin was almost 10 years older, he by that time in the West, he's uh, an already established dancer. And we will talk about him uh, Mm -hmm. more in a minute. But what's interesting, he was considered one of the purest classical dancers of his time. His teacher, Alexander Pushkin, had access to foreign magazines and he showed Rudy photographs of Eric Brown mm. and mentioned him as a very accomplished dancer with a clean technique. And also in the season of 1959-1960, the American Ballet Theater, was where Eric Brown at the time was performing, came to Russia and performed at the Bolshoi. Okay. Uh, Nureyev actually was present at one of the performances given to welcome the company by the Bolshoi Theater. He was in the same auditorium as Eric Brun, but he, Eric was unreachable. He couldn't speak mm-hmm. to him because they were all watched. But by the time that Eric was supposed to perform on stage, Nureyev was sent away on a, a local tour, so he didn't have a chance to see him on stage and certainly not to speak to him. But a friend of Rudy made a secret tape filming, actually, of, of Brune dancing. And uh, when you watch them, yes, I know, he thinks that were possible in the Soviet Union. <laughs> really amazing. And when he watched it, he realized that Eric Brune had everything that he himself lacked but mm-hmm. wanted to be. So given this, what his teacher told him or what he saw with his own eyes, he said that if I go ever go there, I will find him and study with him. Also, he knew that Eric Brun at the time was already studying with a wonderful Russian teacher, Vera Volkova, who studied in St. Petersburg and in Leningrad, but then stayed in the first in, in Shanghai and then moved to London and just started teaching at the Danish Royal Ballet five years previously. So he wanted both Eric Brun and Vera Volkova. Mm-hmm. So how did they finally end up meeting? That's also an interesting story. I've heard it told by several journalists that uh, Rudolf Nureyev just showed up one day yeah. at the door of uh, Eric Brown's apartment, rang the bell, Eric opened the door, and there was... Yeah, Here that's I what I've heard of you. But that's not exactly true. <laughs> what happened is that Maria Tolchev, who was a partner of Eric Bruns. They danced together in New York and they were supposed to dance together again in Copenhagen. Their partnership was very complicated. It was very productive artistically. Their relationship apparently were much, went much deeper than just partnership. But uh, there was also a lot of trouble. They quarreled. At one point, Maria Tolchev actually said to Eric Brown, there's this young Russian who's just defected. And I'm going to find him and he will be my partner. <laughs> so that was a very interesting prelude to what happened. So yeah. Maria Tolchev did uh, go to London and did meet Rudolf. And she brought him to Copenhagen. And they met at a bar uh, with Eric Brown in the Hotel Angleterre. And uh, it was a very awkward meeting because it was the first meeting of Maria and Eric after their quarrel. And they were desperately trying to put that aside and actually Eric remembered behaving rather unnaturally mm-hmm. and Rudolf remembered hating Eric for his laugh because that's what <laughs> Eric was doing all the time but that was the first introduction mm-hmm. and after that R- Rudolf came to class and from that minute on it was just a new beginning for both of them. It's yeah. the beginning of a new story and a new chapter in their both lives. How did Eric respond to this new, in, very intense yeah. situation? At the time, Eric Brun was at the height of his career. He was 
if you know, Bentley critics are very fond of using the word God describing male dancers, but he was really a Danish ballet god. Yeah, I he love watching had, him. Yes, he, he was really unique in every respect. He was incredibly physically gifted. He was a great actor. And he personally for himself thought that he had achieved almost everything he was capable of, and he didn't see any rivals around him. And then suddenly there appears this young Russian lion, mm-hmm. physically perfectly built, powerful, passionate. He's also looking up at Eric, but Eric actually confessed very shortly after meeting Rudy that if they were the same age, he would have hated having <laughs> too much competition. Yeah. <laughs> too much competition. But it provoked something in Eric. They started learning of each other. Mm-hmm. Eric Bruin was the embodiment of the Danish Bournemouth school, which is very controlled, the emphasis is on lightness. Eric Brun himself said that it's considered that Danish dancers do not jump very high, but they f- seem like never really touch the ground. There is this very special quality because of the training. They uh, concentrate, the training concentrates on feet and ankles. Okay. And with the Russian dancers, they have this tremendous elevation. There, are, there mm-hmm. may be, they make every jump seem very visible that you can see the effort but then they go very high so this is something that was so contrasting for the two of them that each of them started to try, trying to imitate each other mm. yeah in documentary that I watched someone said that talent attracts talent and I always thought that that was a very nice way of, of putting what it was like for those two together it do talent sometimes actually antagonizes talent but in well, their true. case they, <laughs> they they there was both yeah (laughs) they really inspired each other Mm. so I think we should talk a little bit about Eric just so that we can set the scene of him as well so as you mentioned he was 10 years older so he was born in 1928 and he to me seems quite different in terms of personality to Rudy how would you describe him I would say that Yes, and also no. Mm. It is very interesting that very much like Nureyev, Eric's upbringing and his family had nothing to do with art or culture. He was a son of, um, uh, his mother was an owner of a hairdressing salon. His father was actually a former engineer. Interestingly enough, when he was a young engineer, he worked in Russia shortly before the 1917 revolution. And he got married in Russia. His, with the, uh, his wife was a young Polish woman. They escaped Russia in 1917, and they stayed married for quite some time, but then eventually they parted their ways because mm. of, uh, of the differences. But his father was a very handsome man. Apparently, Eric took after his father's looks. Mm. But somewhat, he found very difficult to find himself. He's, his wife mainly supported him. Eric had three sisters and a very powerful, strong-willed mother. He felt uh, slightly overwhelmed by the female presence in his family, and he was a very aloof child, even to the point that when he started school, he was so silent and unresponsive, but he certainly was not. It was just uh, something in his family life made him withdraw into himself. Mm. To bring him out a little bit, his mother decided to take him to a dance school. And in the very few first lessons, it became obvious that physically he's perfectly built and naturally gifted for dance movements Mm -hmm. to the complete astonishment of himself and everyone else. (laughs) But he quite enjoyed the physicality of what he was doing. But he was a stone-faced boy. He was considered someone who had no acting ability. Right. And perhaps not even someone who could feel anything. Just a little dancing machine. Yeah. So that was his very strange beginning. And what is very interesting about the difference in their makeup, when Rudolf Nureyev realized that he had a talent, that became such a powerful force for him and he considered his talent his ticket to the world mm-hmm. he wanted to be in the center of the world when Eric Brun realized that he had a special talent it intimidated him to the extent that he 
thought that he could not cope with it. He mm -hmm. felt that the responsibility was overwhelming and tremendous. And I think this is one of the major differences between the two. But what I found, uh, although Eric outwardly was, he looked extremely noble. Yes, he, he did. Very aristocratic. Very aristocratic, which apparently came from his father, who wasn't an aristocrat, but had this <laughs> genes. Yeah. <laughs> made him look like that. He was naturally graceful. He had this chiseled, beautiful face. Mm -hmm. He was very controlled and very quiet and never loud and never, never made an ugly gesture. And there was a natural grace to everything he did. Very different from Nureyev's grace was very animalistic yeah. and spontaneous. And he liked sudden movements and powerful leap. But at the same time, apparently... Eric Bruin was quite rebellious at school. I think that this inability, his inability to express himself and allow himself to show his feelings led to real outbursts. And he was fighting his teachers and he was yelling. And uh, so that surprised me deeply because yeah. I thought he was just a perfectly harmonious human <laughs> being. He wasn't. That harmony came at a price. Yeah. So there was a similar passion for being in control mm -hmm. in both of them I think they expressed it very differently and they certainly understood their talents and their responsibilities very differently mm. so he started dancing Eric started dancing at Copenhagen Royal Opera House when he was 18 but a really significant moment in his career is what is referred to as the matinee that made history what is the matinee that made history? That is a very interesting story. It's a very catching title. It so, is. <laughs> uh, as a very young dancer, Eric actually requested a leave of absence from the company, which is a very unusual thing to do for the Royal Danish Ballet. But he felt like he wanted more. He had a chance on a, a summer vacation in Europe to see ballets from repertories different from the Danish companies, Bornoville dancers, he suddenly realized that he needs different training and different experiences. <laughs> and through a series of meetings, he met somebody who that, uh, was very happy to engage him for the American Ballet Theater. So very early in his career, he had a chance, unlike many other Danish dancers, to dance not only in his home company, but in the West, in London and in America. Mm -hmm. And in 1955, when he was already a soloist, oh, uh, second soloist with the American Ballet Theatre, which is not really such a high position, but still he was dancing solo roles, he was picked up as a partner for Alicia Markova, a famous ballerina who started with Jagulov as a baby ballerina, a very young girl. She was looked upon as a sort of the second incarnation of Anna Paolova through her, by her lightness and perfect technique and poetic romantic style. She had a partnership with Anton Dolin, also a former dancer of the Jagalips Ballet Russe. And by, uh, by 1955, Dolin had stopped dancing, but she was still performing. And she picked up Eric as her partner for Giselle. Eric never danced Albrecht before. They had very few rehearsals. There is a wonderful story about their uh, first rehearsal where uh, he was supposed to do his first lift. And lifting Alicia Markham as Giselle. And it's interesting to know that Brunanville dancing repertory does not include lifts. Oh, okay. It's not something that they do, especially in the traditional Brunanville original ballets. Mm. So that requires a completely different training, different yeah. strength of the back, different, you know, there's a huge strain for the knees. And, and also Alicia Markova, this is a little bit gossipy, but Alicia Markova being extremely light and very slight never helped her partners to lift her. So oh. she had a reputation of being <laughs> okay. only around 90 pounds at the same time, heavy as a stone. <laughs> and so to his complete horror, when she said, now lift, he tried and he couldn't lift her. And it he thought, okay, <laughs> that's it. I really, I don't know. I, I should stop dancing. I cannot do that. But, you know, then they tried again. And she, you know, there was a certain preparation that she did that he mm. missed the first time. And it did work out, but they had only a few days. So at the same time, there was another conflict in the background because the director of the ABT company, Lucia Chase, didn't want to promote him. 
and actually threatened him that if he keeps insisting on being promoted, uh, he wouldn't dance Albrecht with Alicia Markova. So it was a really very tumultuous week, even slightly less than a week that he was trying to rehearse this very complex role and you know, also is uncertain about his future and is very, very subconscious about dancing with Alicia Markova. Mm. But in the end, it all works out. And he performs his first Albrecht. And at the end of the performance, there's an explosion of applause. Mm-hmm. And the reviews that come out the next day are absolutely astonishing. They astonished him. He really couldn't believe that it was happening. The Imaginaire that made history was the title of the essay written by P.W. Manchester, a wonderful British critic. And that she said that there's, the, there's this new god. <laughs> yes. Here it comes. She claimed that not only his technique was flawless, he also his acting was deep and moving and profound, something that was really, he was really praised for. Before. Yeah, he found that emotion. And yes. Also, the, another extremely touching thing is he's arrived. He's definitely arrived. He was a well-known dancer whose style was considered very pure. He was considered very talented, but he was a star. Yeah. And Clive Barnes wrote that it was a very touching moment watching how the greatest Giselle of today, and Alicia Markova was certainly considered the greatest Giselle of her time, was handing over a sacred trust to the Albrecht of tomorrow. I thought it was a wonderful thing to say. That is. (laughs) So that made him one of the most important male dancers of his generation. So I think we should return to putting them back together, Eric and Rudolf. What was it like in the early days of their relationship? From what both of them, Rudolf Nureyev was much more eloquent on their relationship and how Mm. they met than Eric Brun, who was a rather reserved person. Apparently, Nureyev was half prepared to fall in love with Eric from what he saw of him as a dancer. Mm. He deeply, deeply truly profoundly fell in love with Eric when he met him. He was absolutely blown away. It was the first seriously deep attachment of his life. Eric Bruin was also tremendously impressed. For Eric, it was also deep love. Both of them being so unique in their physical gifts, in, in their passion for their art, There are several wonderful shots of them taking classes together. And you can see the two of them side by side, extremely different, but also both so precise and perfect in their movements, especially when they make the same movement. You can see what they both said, that they would do the same movement and they see both how similar and how different they are. Mm -hmm. And they would learn of each other. So the combination of their personal passion, of their passion for their art and their deep understanding of their, you know, they had a world together. It is very rare in any relationship when the physical comes together with spiritual, emotional and professional. So it was initially for both of them, it was perfect. It was becoming overwhelming very quickly Mm. but even that initial feeling of the enormity they've both enjoyed tremendously yeah didn't they live with eric's mother for a little bit they did it is very difficult to understand well people were never really that naive i think his mother quite understood what was going on eric wrote that his mother never liked rudolph and that he disliked his mother tremendously that it was um you know hate at the first sight but not much was said or it wasn't talked about that he was just staying with eric's family when they were then they lived together in london and again uh even in the first biography of eric brune john brune writes about their partnership but he makes it so neutral that i don't think any inexperienced reader would not read anything into it except for their dancing partnership yeah. and learning of each other and, and being passionate friends yeah, who care for each other deeply. So not, I don't think it was really that much talked about, but no. uh, of course, I think that 
yeah and And you kind of have to think of the cultural situation at the time and you know well I think it's it's always quietness in the dance world in their theater world in their artistic circles it was always an open secret but then you know previously it was a punishable offense it was still the social perception of uh, such relationship was still very complicated and mm. nobody talked about it openly. In general, I think people talked less about their sexual practices and personal relationships than we do now. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, it was not a scandal in any no. way. No. Do you think it was a relationship of equals between them, considering kind of these differences and similarities and the push and pull yeah, between I, them. I've, I've thought a lot about that, and I, I might be wrong, but I don't think love relationships, especially such passionate, are is ever a relationship of equals. Frankly, mm. whether we want it or not, there's always the leader. Yeah, the more dominant there's one. Always, there is always someone who makes more demands. There is always someone who resents. It's, it's the nature. I mean, mm. harmony is rare. There were equals as human beings, certainly. There were equals in their talent and their passion and their devotion to their art. Yeah. And they were not equals because they were very different. You know, there's a... A uh, wonderful line that every Russian knows from the uh, Alexander Pushkin's Eugene Onegin, the novel in verse in Russian that says, Vada i kamin, lot i plamin, sabboy. It's that no two people were less the same, like water and stone, ice and flame. And I think mm-hmm. that was the story of Eric and Rudy. No two people were less the same. That difference brought them together because they fed off each other until they stopped doing that Mm -hmm. because it was too much yeah it was definitely a very passionate relationship I think some of the letters that Rudolf sent very very passionate and you can just feel that kind of intensity between them yes it was for Eric the emotional intensity was always difficult because he was such a reserved person. Mm-hmm. Also, he was a person who didn't really like to spend that much time among other people. He was extremely happy just being with Rudy together, resting, talking, practicing. Rudy was insatiable for people. He yeah. really became very restless if he was in one place. He couldn't be alone. He had to be out after performance with people, you know, celebrating, eating, laughing. He was sexually insatiable. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that was so different for both of them that they stopped understanding each other. Yeah. We know who would have fared better in lockdown. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've had our taste of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So how did they deal with both having careers as these international ballet stars? At first, they taught each other a lot. For instance, Eric trained Rudy for the role of France in Capellia. Rudolf, even when he was performing in uh, other places, would fly to watch Eric dance. La Silphide, because it's something that Eric became one of the best performers of James. Uh, of the role of James, it, he was. Uh, he started actually. His first performance was a complete disaster, and then after that, he spent a lot of time studying and learning and observing and watching, and it became one of his favorite roles. So, mm. uh, whenever Rudy want, could, had a chance, he would fly to watch how Eric performed that role. They were even performing side by side occasionally, but gradually, their different engagements. Very shortly after meeting Eric Brun, Rudolf was introduced to Margot Fontaine. That was yes. another extremely important partnership in his whole career. And friendship with Margot Fontaine was very important for him as well. Mm. So that had taken uh, Rudy away from Eric. And he became a member of the Royal Ballet and then a partner of Margot Fontaine. He had revived her career because she was on the verge of retiring. So life was taking them apart. Yeah, They never truly quarreled or never officially ended anything. But as it happens, they 
having tremendous love for each other, they found that uh, life is taking them in different directions. Yeah. I also think with Rudy becoming this, like he broke out of the world of ballet, which was quite remarkable in his time. And that must have been a, a complicated thing to traverse between the two of them, with one of them becoming like an absolute star. Yes, they were both credited with giving the male dancing uh, its the importance that it had acquired in the 20th century. Because mm-hmm. in the history of ballet, it's been like the seesaw all the time, whether a male or female dancer is more important. The romantic uh, period that started in the mid-19th century lasted for a very long time until the early 20th century, where the ballerina was the center of the ballet world. It yeah. actually, this is the tradition that Balanchine had inherited and developed in his company. It was Vaslav Nijinsky who first showed that the male dancer could be as exciting as a female dancer, but it took another almost 30 years for Eric Brun in the West and for Rudolf Nureyev first in the Soviet Union, then again in the West to show how exciting and important male dancing could mm. be. And for several decades, uh, they were more important than any ballerinas in any yeah. other company. So uh, they were equals and then there was of course the rivalry and then there there were certain they they excited such passions in each other then mm-hmm. at one time when they were <laughs> performing in Morspavan together that Rudolf Nureyev felt like Eric literally when he lifted his stick he felt his, he said I was afraid for my life there was such passion that <laughs> they really loved and hated each other yeah, yeah, because the, their their like intimate relationship didn't last particularly long, but that kind of yeah. um, intense uh, admiration and affection for each other was something that lasted a lifetime. And yeah. they took to stage together again in 1975, which is later on after their sexual relationship. And I wondered if you could tell us what happened, how that came about. Uh, that came about because their their careers had taken completely different tracks. So mm-hmm. Eric was certainly a lead, for a long time was a leading dancer of the Royal Danish uh, Ballet, but he performed for many years with American Ballet Theatre and other companies. Then he was, as I have said, he was 10 years older. So by the 1960s, 1970s he suffered he had several ulcers he just uh, he was a very heavy smoker so he physically started feeling much weaker and when he had a surgery for um, an ulcer he uh, stopped dancing for a while and he decided actually that he would completely stop dancing classical roles and would only perform character roles where he astonished in that repertory of many of his critics because he was, as I've mentioned, although he was a very gifted actor, he still was considered a much better technician. Yeah, it's such a transition. It was an amazing transition. He also made himself physically unrecognizable for every role. He changed his plastic. He was he was really an extremely gifted mm-hmm. uh, artist. And then by the uh, by that time, he was already after his surgery and recovery, he was with the National Ballet of Canada as an artistic director. Rudolf Nureyev was, you know, for many years spent with the Royal uh, English Ballet, but then he was so hungry to be on stage. Yes. uh, He certainly uh, would never put up with other dancers, not even upstaging, but even sort of competing with him. So Mm -hmm. he, when there was a a next generation of younger dancers who were given chances to dance, he started moving around and taking engagements and with many other different companies. And in the 1970s, he was with the New York City Ballet. It was one of his dreams to work with Balanchine, and he got his dream, although it was not one of the major works that Balanchine made for him, but nonetheless. So they just happened to be in New York City in 1975, the National Ballet of Canada with Eric Brun and uh, Nureyev with, with Balanchine. So they were just performing next to each other. And mm-hmm. then one day they appeared together in Capelia, 
Rodolphe Nureyev in the role of Franz, the protagonist of the ballet, which yeah. Eric had trained him for years and years before. Yes. And Eric Brun himself as Dr. Capellius, the magician who created the doll with whom he's half in love and Franz is going to take that girl away from him. Mm-hmm. So the tension between the two of them was palpable on mm-hmm. stage. Again, Nureyev said that he almost felt the hatred <laughs> uh, that he felt was way too real, not really artistic. Yeah. And uh, Eric Brun was also overwhelmed by seeing his former lover and rival and, you know, a younger contemporary and his dancing rival. Mm-hmm. But the performance was electrifying and they were so full of feeling that when the curtain fell, they've actually spontaneously hugged each other on oh. stage and everyone around was was almost in tears seeing that I very rare reunion. Because that to everyone's delight and relief, that tension on stage resulted in their just coming together for a few minutes again. They came together again 11 years later for a much sadder reason. So what happened in 1986? In 1986, when Nureyev was actually director of the Paris Opera Ballet and was going through a very rough spot when he spent too little time with the company and was very, as usual, very wild and volatile and quite rude to many of the company's teachers and uh, performers. There was a movement starting for ousting him and there was a you know, a television interview and a scandal yes. and a lot of movement. So it was a personally very, very tense moment for Nureyev. Also, in 1984, he discovered that he had AIDS. Yeah. It was not made public, but he himself knew it. And he was not so much in denial, but full of hope. He said that they've learned how to cure so many terminal illnesses I'm sure mm. they'll find something for for that so he wasn't feeling ill yet but he knew he he had that yeah very tragic diagnosis and he got a uh, telegram that Eric Brun was dying of cancer Eric Brun was a, a tremendously heavy smoker he smoked about three packs of cigarettes a day I've watched actually many dancers doing the same in the 1980s and 90s oh my gosh <laughs> uh, right and he started feeling rather ill a year before and his friend the doctor said you just you should stop smoking but Eric just laughed and never did in 1986 he was diagnosed with the last stage of lung cancer and unlike Rudolph who was not going to succumb to illness and was absolutely certain that he will be cured yeah Eric had completely different relationships with death and the idea of dying, although it it bothered him, of course, and he considered it a mystery, but he always said that he will go very fast. And somehow he just gave in. He had a boyfriend who lived with him and uh, and it was a long-term relationship, but he certainly wanted to see Rudy and asked for him continuously. And because Rudolph was tied up in that ongoing investigation and He couldn't arrive right away, but he did. By the time he came to the hospital, Eric was drifting in and out of uh, consciousness. He was on heavy narcotics. He really didn't say much, and he was visibly half in a different world. And Eric was tremendously upset. He spent only 15 minutes in the room, and he uh, rushed to the... That was in Toronto. He rushed to the National Ballet of Canada to class to rehearse and work out the stress. didn't say anything. And for many people, it was a uh, sign of his coldness. But I don't think it was that at all. He was shocked, deeply saddened. He really, there was no connection. Mm -hmm. So it's not that he could talk to Eric or get any response from him. He went back and he said that he was certain that Eric didn't know that he was there. But in his despair and his last goodbye he said all I could do is get into bed and hug him and hold him so I think it's 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 very moving yeah it is I I think with the whole going to class thing sometimes you seek comfort and for Rudy 
being in class and dancing. Yeah. It also a, reminds me of, right, it also reminded me of what his teacher told him when he was young, go, go and do some pirouettes, you, yeah. you know, work the stress off, it will relax you. So, and also, what else? I think it was a very fitting tribute to who Eric yeah. was. His life was dance. Their life together was dance and uh, ballet. Yeah. So Eric died very shortly after that, and Nureyev didn't make any mention of it. He just said about it after the performance to a friend of his. Being very private and reserved, Eric didn't want a huge funeral. He didn't want a huge tribute. He wanted to be cremated. There were only family and very close friends present. So even in that, there was a tremendous difference to, yes. uh, to who Rudy was because his funeral and as you know was very lavish and grand mm. which and it happened not so long after so what were those his, last six years like for Rudy uh his illness was catching up with him yeah. he was definitely losing his form several friends who were quite frank with him told him that he should stop dancing mm-hmm. but he wouldn't he certainly was not performing with first-rate companies because he wasn't in the form. He would pick a company or a country where there was a first-rate ballet company or when very little dancing was ever seen, so that there wouldn't be really much comparison. But there was one embarrassing performance after which the audience was screaming, refund, refund. I actually saw a videotape when I worked at the Dance Collection in New York of Rudolf Nureyev dancing with Alicia Alonso, who was almost a lifetime older and blind, and she danced better than he did. So mm. it was a, one of the most heartbreaking experiences I've had. It, it was before the YouTube and yeah. internet, so it was really something that you could only watch at that place because mm. it was actually also you needed permission to watch it, but I worked there, so I had access to So he was... Falling apart physically and not recognizing it. He was grasping at straws. He had the tour of The King and I. He also conducted. Yes, uh, I love that chain, that pivot. <laughs> yes, that's interesting. Someone who didn't really have a real background in music or uh, music education. But he was such a talented person that almost everything he did was marked by some special quality. So goodness knows he might even have grown up into a decent ballet conductor. It's impossible to guess. Yeah. But he suffered a lot. He, unlike Eric, he was grasping at life. He was desperately trying to find new and different treatments. But he never gave up physically until the very end. There's even a known fact that he once danced on stage with a catheter and and inserted into him because he physically wasn't capable. He just Uh, needed to be on stage. He needed to be on stage. That's true. That's all. And and that was something that people praised him for and criticized him for, that he was so hungry for being on stage that uh, no consideration would stop him. Mm -hmm. He even stopped caring of how he looked. The quality of his dancing did not matter to him anymore. What mattered much more that he was still there. Mm. And that was another difference between Brun and Nureyev because Eric Brun would have not allowed himself to be seen in such uh, a condition and to be seen performing so badly, not because of his vanity, but because of his respect yeah. for his art. There's a very interesting quote by Bernanville that I think was sort of a credo for Eric Brun. Bournonville said that a real master will never show any effort that goes into the movement. Right. That it's only when you can do that, you're a true artist. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what Eric was very, very conscious of. And it was something that he lived by and Nureyev lived by completely different rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what do you think is the legacy that they have left behind? Each of them left a different legacy as dancers. I love the opening of the John Groen's uh, biography of Eric Brun that was written when he was still alive. He says, there is good dancing, there is great dancing, and then there is Eric Brun. Mm-hmm. And for Nureyev, 
you can say there's ballet and there's Rudolf Nureyev. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing that's similar is they're both unique. Eric became the epitome of professionalism. The line, the ease of movements, there's his physical gifts were so unique and he made the best of them. He was, as you know, he was intimidated initially when he realized how special he was. And he said that that fear had never left him, but that fear made him work so hard to respect his art. Nureyev, one of the reasons that people who have not seen him on stage could not understand why he was such, such a great dancer, because he wasn't such a clean dancer and he wasn't such a perfectly trained dancer. But there was something about his stage presence. Mm-hmm. that completely changed people who saw him on stage. And this is one of the most intangible, ineffable things that an actor or a performer can have. He had it in dancing. He made the best of what was given to him, but in such a self-centered way, as opposed to Eric, who served his art. Mm-hmm. So, that's the, so they're like the two sides of the coin. That's yeah. their legacy. Their legacy is also that they've changed the course of male dancing for the 20th century. So before both of them, male dancers were partners in the 20th century. They were there to lift their ballerinas, to serve as a background to them. They physically looked much heavier, much less developed. Most of them didn't care much about turnout, pointing. So the the, the look was almost athletic, Mm -hmm. not balletic. And both... Eric and Rudolf changed that. And they've changed how male dancers looked at their bodies and looked at their role and the range of possibilities that ballet gives them. Their legacy as a couple is extremely complicated, as any couple. They did not stay together long. Certainly their love for each other was the center of their emotional life for a long time, even after they've parted ways. There are letters that, that show that they're still were extremely, both of them were extremely important for each other. So unlike so many relationships that Nureyev had in his life, and he was probably the most, we wouldn't even go into that, but he was a wild. He was prolific. <laughs> he was, yes, he was, uh, it was a, a sort of a, he had very special attitude to sex and, and mm-hmm. having this. But what he had with Eric was not just a sexual relationship. That was his true love. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the only time in his life that he experienced sort of how he was became a part of another human being. And that overwhelmed him and in the end turned out to be too much for his self-centeredness and mm-hmm. his sense of himself. So it's as any love story, it teaches you that there is sacrifice that not everyone is ready to make. There is you know, this joyful celebration of the other person. There is disappointment. There is heartbreak. Mm-hmm. It's a complete experience. Absolutely. I think both were richer for it. Yeah, I think that's a perfect place to end. Thank you so much for talking to me you don't know how much i've enjoyed this honestly thank you very much i've enjoyed it tremendously as well and i guess all there is to say is merry christmas merry christmas (laughs) and freedom next year 2021 (laughs) yes and you know when it is true do come to houghton we have wonderful materials houghton libraries is open to everyone And thank you for listening. It was such a pleasure to talk to Irina. She was so knowledgeable and it was an absolute dream to journey into the world of ballet with her today. I think my favourite thing she mentioned was the way in which Eric and Rudy learnt from each other, embracing the art of ballet at the heart of their relationship. So yes, thank you, Irina. If you would like to delve deeper into the love story between Rudolf and Eric, I would suggest watching their episode of the TV series Artists in Love. 
it's the seventh episode of the series, which, I mean, if you love love stories in history, <clears throat> it really is um, a wonderful watch. I think it's an older series, maybe a few years ago, but it is available on Now TV, and I'll put a link to the show in the notes, along with a couple of other biographies that you might be interested in. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening to it now. This means that more fellow romantics can find the podcast and selfishly it also means an awful lot to me. It would be the perfect Christmas present. Perhaps you could leave a comment with what your favourite episode has been so far or maybe who you'd like to hear about in season three when that comes at some point in 2021. In the meantime, you can also find me over on Instagram at Past Loves Podcast, where you will find plenty more love stories in perfect bite-sized chunks. Really, if Past Loves is your current love, there is no better place to be. For now, though, there really is one last thing to say. I hope you all have a very joyful, festive season, full of light and love. Merry Christmas.